Hello, and welcome to this Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about a fistful of my favorite Western wordslingers in under 15 minutes, give or take. I'm Paul Bishop. My compadre Richard Prosh and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, but ride solo for our own Speed Listen bonus installments. I read a lot of Westerns, but a lot of Westerns is a far cry from having read all the Westerns. There are fans who have read a lot more Westerns than me, but they still can't even get close to reading all the Westerns. In 2020 alone, there were over 25 Westerns published under Kensington's William W. Johnstone brand, more than 20 Westerns published by Signet under their Ralph Compton banner, and over 50 Westerns released by Wolfpack Publishing, and a simply uncountable number of Westerns published by independent and small press authors in ebook format. And that doesn't even touch on the reprints. Anybody listening managed to read all of those? I didn't think so. It's an impossible task worthy of being added to the Twelve Labors of Hercules. Clearly, the Western genre is alive and riding hell for leather. While there are a huge number of new Westerns being published, my natural inclination is to regularly dip back into the iconic Western writers of the past. Not just Louis L'Amour or Luke Short or Zane Grey, who frankly has never been a favorite of mine, but solid wordslingers like Louis B. Patton, Ray Hogan, Frank Bonham, and a long list of others, including Western icons I always turn to when I want something good to read. Frank Gruber was a prolific pulp writer churning out more than 300 stories for over 40 pulp magazines. With the demise of the pulps, he successfully transitioned to new publishing mediums, writing over 60 paperback originals, 65 screenplays, and over 100 television scripts. Along with westerns, Gruber also wrote hard-boiled mysteries, but I never found them as engaging as his westerns, which was his dominant genre. During the heyday of westerns on TV, he created several series, including Tales of Wells Fargo, The Texan, and Shotgun Slade. He even novelized 10 of his Tales of Wells Fargo scripts for a paperback tie-in to the show. This volume is worth tracking down for its solid plotting and Gruber's obvious affection for the stories. If you've never read a western by Gruber, I'd suggest starting with Peace Marshal, which was made into the film The Kansan, starring Richard Dix. Fighting Man is another good one, or Fort Starvation. The latter features John Slater, a man who has dedicated his life to revenge with a fortune in gold at the end of the trail. However, the gold means nothing to Slater other than it can lead him to the man who betrayed his father, a man whose greed led to the stark horror the army sought to cover up, the brutal siege of Fort Starvation. If you are already a Gruber fan and haven't done so, be sure to read his fascinating autobiography, The Pulp Jungle, which is filled with stories and colorful characters from his time writing for the pulps. Known as a master of the Western caper novel, Frank O'Rourke is best known for his novel A Mule for the Marquesa, which was made into one of my favorite Western films, The Professionals, starring Lee Marvin, Burt Lancaster, Woody Strode, Robert Ryan, Claudia Cardinelli, and Jack Palance at his scenery-chewing best. How can you beat a cast like that? Because of the success of the movie, the book was later reprinted under the title The Professionals to tie in with the popular film. If you haven't seen the film, finish listening to this speed listen and immediately find a way to queue it up on any number of streaming services, including Amazon Prime. Of O'Rourke's other novels, I'd recommend The Bravados, which was made into a film of the same name starring Gregory Peck, War Bonnet Law, featuring range detective John McMahon, and finally, a personal favorite, The Shotgun Man 
with Andres Shotgun Aru battling his way through the 1910 Mexican Revolution with a beautiful woman and his .97 shotgun by his side, in a quest of a hidden fortune with a pack of deadly killers on his trail. After beginning to write full-time in 1949, Louis B. Patton had over 100 westerns published during the next 30 years. Normally writing under his own name, he occasionally used the pseudonym Louis Ford. He also wrote a number of westerns in collaboration with another prolific western scribe, Wayne D. Overholzer, using the joint pseudonyms of Lee Layton and Joseph Wayne. Winning a Spur Award for Best Historical Novel for The Red Sabbath in 1968, he later received a second Spur Award for Best Novel in 1972 for A Killing in Kiowa. While diverse in plotting, there is one theme running throughout Patton's many books, justice. While this plays out clearly in most of his works, lynching a broken butte is surprisingly subtle in its handling of justice. In westerns, justice is most often delivered from the barrel of a gun, usually wielded by a loner in search of revenge, or a man who finds a spying to stand up to whatever villainy is in play. However, when the citizens of the small town of Broken Butte lynch two innocent men, they fall prey to their own guilt and begin to destroy themselves from the inside. Violence ensues, and lynching at Broken Butte becomes a study of justice served at the hands of the offenders themselves. Throughout his books, Patton shows disdain for Indian fighters and military officers, including Custer, who comes in for a drubbing in the spur winning The Red Sabbath. On the other hand, Penn's marshals and sheriffs are competent and willing to confront injustice or prejudice, usually against the Plains Indians, with whom Patton clearly sympathized. Before he became far more well-known for his urban vigilante novel Death Wish and espionage tales such as his short story collection Checkpoint Charlie and the brilliant novel Hopscotch, Brian Garfield was a prolific practitioner of Western fiction. Raised in Arizona, Garfield found success at an early age, publishing his first novel when he was only 18, which, at the time, made him one of the youngest writers of Western novels in print. In his early career, Garfield produced so many Westerns he had to employ a corral full of pseudonyms, including Brian Wynn, Frank Wynn, Bennett Garland, Alex Hawk, Jonas Ward, and Frank O'Brien. I've particularly enjoyed his Marshall Jeremy Six series, written under his Brian Wynn pseudonym. Published in 1964, the first book in the Jeremy Six series, Mr. Sixgun, is set in the fictional town of Spanish Flats, Arizona, a setting Garfield created in his first novel, Range Justice, which was published in 1960. Several characters from Range Justice put in an appearance in Mr. Sixgun, including the main protagonist, Tracy Chavez, who would also appear in several other Jeremy Six novels. Range Justice was republished in 1961, under the new title, Justice at Spanish Flats. First chapter of Garfield's 1966 Western, The Lusty Breed, published under his Frank Wynn pseudonym, is set in Spanish Flats, with Marshal Jeremy Six putting in a cameo appearance. In total, there were nine Jeremy Six books. However, the last book in the series, Gunslick Territory, was credited to Brian Wynn, as were all of the Jeremy Six books, but it was written by another prolific Western wordslinger, Dean Owen a.k.a. Dudley Dean McConaughey. All of Garfield's early westerns are worthy of tracking down, but Dragoon Pass and The Last Hardman, both published as by Frank Wynn, and Sliphammer as Brian Garfield, are all good entry points to Garfield's canon. However, before moving on from Garfield, I must mention two more of his books. The first is a non-fiction reference work, Western Films, A Complete Guide. This is a mammoth work, which Garfield claimed took him over 10 years to complete, 
It provides an overview of the genre broken down into several categories, including time period, directors, actors, and more, followed by short reviews of over 1,500 A-list Western films. Garfield can be savage in his assessments, clearly preferring the older generation of films to those released in the 70s and 80s, which makes the book more of a curmudgeon's guide to Western movies. But the sheer breadth of the work makes it worthy of being on every film buff's reference shelf. Finally, published in 1978, Wild Times is, in my opinion, Garfield's Western magnum opus. Providing the basis for a TV miniseries starring Sam Elliott, who makes any Western he appears in that much better, Wild Times tells the tale of Hugh Cardiff, sharpshooter, murderer, Indian fighter, and creator of the Wild West show, who became a legend in his own time. This one comes with my highest endorsement. Moving on, I would like to touch briefly on several lesser-known but excellent Western storytellers who have been recommended by our Six-Gun Justice podcast listeners. Starting in the mid-30s, Philip Ketchum wrote over 1,000 Western adventure and crime stories, which he sold to the pulp magazine market during the next two decades. His stories became mainstays in the top-tier pulp magazine Argosy, for which he created a series of novelettes about a magical axe named Rettwalda, wielded by the male heirs of a British family through numerous wars, beginning with the Crusades. These stories are currently available in the collection Brettwalda from Altus Press. Ketchum is best remembered for his excellent westerns, published in the 50s and 60s. His plots were usually more realistic than the standard formula westerns, and his characters were drawn with greater-than-usual depth, full of quirks and flaws, and included strong, independent women in important roles. His early westerns were often expanded versions of the stories he wrote for the pulp magazine Ranch Romances. While these were standard odors of little note, they were written with the skill and assurance of an experienced wordsmith. But in the late 50s, his westerns took a darker, more cynical turn. The easy plot resolutions of his early work were replaced by a realistic approach verging on grim. This change can be clearly seen in two novels, Gun Code and The Hard Man, both published in 1959. The plots are almost identical. A young man returns to the town where his father was killed and uncovers secrets the townsfolk believe were safely buried. In Gun Code, the main character finds the townsfolk mostly friendly and wins through to safety and fortune with minimal discomfort. The Hard Man, however, takes this plot and turns it into a noir storyline. This time around, as they have no desire for their culpability in the killing to be raked up, the townsfolk's attitude range from uncooperative to deadly. As old betrayals and greed begin to surface, the guilty are eventually exposed, but it is more of a hollow victory for the hero, which carries a devastating emotional cost for all involved. I've only read a few of Ketchum's books, but I can recommend his Cabot series, The Man Who Tamed Dodge City, The Man Who Turned Outlaw, the Man Who Sold Leadville, and the final book in the series, Cabot. I also enjoyed Ketchum's novel Wyatt Earp, written as part of Whitman's series of TV tie-ins, and his novelization of the Western movie Support Your Local Sheriff. My introduction to jazz drummer-turned-writer Clifton Adams came through his Amos Flagg series, which he wrote under his Clay Randall pseudonym, starting with Amos Flagg Lawman but it was two other books written under his own name, Craig's Choice and The Last Days of Wolf Garnet, that make him an author not to be missed. Both books won Spur Awards in successive years, 1970 and 71, 
and they are excellent examples of Adam's ability to cut through to the heart of human frailties with a compassion that makes the characters stay with you long after you've turned the final page. In my mind, Flagg is unique in the handling of his female characters. The men Flagg writes about are crumbled creatures of fractured conscience and bad memories, but his women are fierce and cold-blooded survivors beneath their taut masks of innocence and vanishing femininity. The moral tension and psychological twists keep Adams's prose centered and fast-moving, as in his novel The Hottest Fourth of July in the History of Hangtree County, published in 1964. Paperback Warrior's review of this novel called it a Western masterpiece and the perfect introduction to Clifton Adams. After recently tracking down and reading The Hottest Fourth of July in the History of Hangtree County, I have to agree. We all have growing want lists we are trying to control, but Adams is a worthy addition. My current to-be-read tower next to my bed is stuffed with other great Western writers I want to bring to listeners' attentions, but they will have to wait for another speed listen installment, as I think I've given you enough suggestions in this installment to keep you reading until then. If you do read any of the books mentioned in this installment, please send us an email at sixgodandjusticewesterns at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening to this bonus speed listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out our website at sixgunjustice.com for regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes, Six Gun Justice speed listen installments, and Six Gun Justice conversations are available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Till next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and keep your horse's nose pointed in the direction of home. Adios. I'm out of here. Let's ride.